Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I am your host, Tina Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode, we're still in Toronto. We're, hey, we're going to stay out there for a minute. I know it's snowy. I know it's cold. And for those of you who live in the South, do not want to be there. I don't like the snow. I don't like the ice. That's why I live in the South. That's why I live here in Texas. Because I don't like the snow. But today's episode, we are staying out there in Toronto. This was a suggested episode by my dear friend, Sarah from Toronto. Today we're going to be talking about Ken and Barbie. No, not the ones that we see in the in the packages. Not not those. We're not talking about those Ken and Barbie. Well, what, the ones that we're talking about are the Ken and Barbie killers. Well, at least that's what Canada dubbed them. And as I was going over some of the research, they are some twisted ass motherfuckers. And I'm I, I can't believe the ending to these atrocities. It's insane. When I was going over all the information, and again, I, I just skimmed through it as I, as I prepared the, the episode. And when I got to the end of the research that I was doing, I, I was flabbergasted. My mouth was agape because of what happened. I know I'm keeping you guys in, in suspense. I'm one making you guys wonder, all right, Grumbler, hurry the fuck up. Let's go. So let's go. Today's episode, Ken and Barbie Killers. Who are the Ken and Barbie Killers. Paul Bernardo was born in Ontario, was born in Ontario, Canada, in the district of Scarborough. His parents' marriage was full of unhappiness. His father, Kenneth, was abusive to other members of the family and even molested Paul's sister. So right out the gate, we already see that one of the two killers are having a fucked up childhood. And as if you and, and if you can remember from previous episodes, we know that abuse in the home does is not a great atmosphere, not a great environment for stable, productive members of society. And with this, with Mr. Paul, we already see that shit's going bad real quick, real fast. I mean, there was abuse, verbal, physical, there was even sexual abuse. All bad. His mother, Marilyn, was depressed and would leave the family to visit relatives on the weekend. When home, she would hide in the basement. Paul, despite this, was described as a happy child, but soon gained, gained a compulsion to start fires soon after joining the Boy Scouts when he was 10 years old. Wait a minute. I, I had a pretty, de- well, up until my father died, I had a pretty happy childhood, but I loved starting fires. I was literally a pyromaniac when I was a kid. I wanted to set anything and everything on fire. I was, I was hypnotized and just completely amazed on the destruction that fire can do. I even tried to start a fire under my bed because I was hiding. <laughs> I was hiding the fire, so I started it. I started the fire under my bed and I got my ass whooped because obviously I shouldn't be starting fires under a bed inside of a house. So (laughs) when Paul was 16, his life was turned upside down. He was told that Kenneth wasn't his biological father, that he was conceived between Marilyn and a man she had an affair with. Paul repulsed and dismissed his mother. That's something heavy to lay down on your child. I mean, I would have probably gone maybe my entire life Maybe up until I'm an adult to be told that this guy wasn't really my father. I mean, even though he was abusive, even though he didn't treat Paul very well, that's the only father figure that Paul knows. And for him to get hit with that boom, that bomb, yo, this dude isn't your father. I mean, at the same time, you're happy, but at the same time, you're not. It's the only father you know. But then to dismiss his mother, I can understand. But at the same time, man, that's your, that's your mom. Later, Paul's girlfriend, Nadine, left him for one of his friends. Becoming tired of Bernardo's controlling nature, Bernardo retaliated to the heartbreak by setting fire to the things Nadine gave him. So we already are talking about Paul has some controlling behavior. His girlfriend left him. He was tired of it. And Bernardo retaliated to the heartbreak by setting fire to the things they deemed gave him. Well, I'm glad, Mr. Tough Guy. Makes you feel better than, hey, you're not hurting anyone. Great. During Paul's time at university, he developed dark sexual sexual fantasies, one of which was building a virgin farm where he would breed virgin girls via rape. 
He enjoyed forced anal sex and degrading his dates in public. Fuck that guy. Mr. Tough Guy thinks he's all bad. Oh, dude, I'm going to go degrade everyone because I, yeah, I'm so incomplete myself. Fuck you. It's ridiculous. In all cases, he was abusive and threatened to kill his girlfriends if they spoke to other people about his treatment. In it spoke about his treatment. <laughs> Let me try this again. He threatened to kill his girlfriends if they spoke to other people about his treatment. In 1986, two of these poor women were granted restraining orders against Bernardo for making obscene phone calls to them. It should have been more than that. Why, he should have done some time downtown. Get a rap sheet on him. So now was that we learned a little bit about Ken. Let's learn to learn a little bit about Barbie or the gal that they are call, calling Barbie. Carla Homolka. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to apologize for mispronouncing Carla's name because fuck her and fuck that other guy. I'm not. If, for those of for those people who who are wondering, I don't really give a shit about people who are convicted or who are rapists and murderers and all that other shit. So I don't really make a valiant attempt in making sure that their their last names and their first names are pronounced properly. I won't apologize for it. However, if I'm destroying anything else regarding the language, then I then I will apologize. But for in this case, I don't. I'm not really trying to pronounce this gal's names properly. I I, I really don't give a shit about these people. But if you're curious, her last name is spelled H-O-M as in motel, O-L-K as in kite, A. Carla Homolka was born in Port Credit, Ontario to Carol Homolka and his Ontarian wife, Dorothy Seeger. She had, she had two younger sisters, Lori and Tammy. Okay, so we have a pretty decent, we have a pretty decent start at the beginning. Carla was a smart girl, good student, and she, lo- and she, was, she was loved by her father. But due to his crippling alcoholism, he would insult both her mother and her during his drunk episodes. What a little scab. You know, I've said it several times. I, I used to be an alcoholic. I really was. I drank a lot all the time, and I drank for a good eight years, apparently. I only thought that I drank for four. But no, apparently I was drinking for, for eight years, but not once in my life that I could recall. And I've even I've asked my wife that. I've asked my wife if I was a complete douche now. So other than trying to be funny when I wasn't, when I was drunk, I, w- I never degraded any of, my, any of my family, not my wife, not my kids. I never did that, ever. Because there's no point. If you're that much, of, if, you're, if you're that shallow and you're that much of a little bitch to where you have to degrade other people to make yourself feel better, well, there's some other stuff that I, that I should, uh, that I would love to mention, but I'm not going to do it on this platform. I'll save that for the Patreon. <laughs> when her parents' marriage started to fail, her father took on a mistress. However, Dorothy, fearing a split in the family, proposed to Carol that they make the relationship a threesome. What the hell? When her parents' marriage started to fail, her father took on a mistress. However, Dorothy, fearing a split in the family, proposed to Carol that they make the relationship a threesome. Well, I mean... That's not a bad. That's not, I mean, I, I can understand. I mean, I, I, I can understand the, 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 the reasoning there. I mean, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want the family to split. So you say, hey, why not just make it a threesome? That way no one's cheating. Everyone's there. Let's have a poly relationship. That makes sense. As Carla aged, she was described as stubborn and dominant, unable to compromise and willing to speak her true mind. She became depressed in high school. She would dress provocatively, cut herself, and claim false suicide attempts to seek attention. You know, I understand that that word attention seeking becomes thrown out pretty, pretty easily. But you know, there's some deeper, darker issues in there. I'm pretty sure there's some something way deeper than that. It sounds like there's some abuse, but suicide attempt isn't attention seeking. Suicide attempt is seriously trying to relieve and get something out that's buried deep inside of you. And this is, again, whenever I mention suicide, this is always a disclaimer. For those of you who are dealing with something, you know, you're depressed, you're having thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself or hurt other people, please reach out and contact someone. Reach out to the, hop, to the help hotline, even if it's a therapist or psychologist, something around your area, just give them a call and let them know how you're feeling. Again, it's better to talk to someone than no one at all. Yeah, I mean... I, there's not much that I can really do, but if you really need someone, I mean, you can email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. 
And I will be more than happy to respond to you. I mean, don't, I'm not going to respond to you right then and there, but if I get a chance, I will most definitely email you once I have a free moment. Uh, anybody who, any of my listeners who email me, I always answer back. Always. Even on Instagram. Instagram, you, you message me, I, 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 I answer you right away. Or as soon as I, I see the message, I should say. She later started to take on sadistic fantasies. After school, she became a after after high school, she became a veterinarian technician at Thorold at the Thorold Clinic. In May of 1987, after Bernard graduated in the summer, he raped two women and then further attempted a rape in July of that year. In October, Bernardo and Homolka met at a restaurant. He was 23 and she was just 17. So after high school, she the Barbie said, "Yo, I'm going to become a, a therapist. I mean, a technician." Make a little bit of money. That's what I'm going to do. And this jackass, this this rotted five-month-old leftover smegma, decided that I'm going to take a ridiculous route and start raping people like the fucking degenerate that he is. Unfortunately, the two met. And when you have two combustible ingredients meeting each other and combining, there's nothing left but an explosion. We all know that. They were instantaneously attracted to each other and had sex that same night with their friends present in the room. From then on, Bernardo would drive to see her at her home twice a week and slowly came to control her whole life. So young ladies out there, even women out there now, if you start seeing controlling behavior, what you're told to eat, what to wear, maybe you shouldn't wear that. Maybe you should wear this. Get out of that relationship ASAP Rocky. Get out of that relationship immediately. That is a downward spiral for, for misogynistic controlling behavior and your, your boyfriend or husband should get fucked. And you can tell him I said that. If anyone tells you what to do with your hair, what color to dye it, what you should wear, what you should eat, what you should do, that is very controlling and they have no respect for you. Zero. So if you start seeing those type of behaviors, it's toxic. He's toxic. You need to get him out of your life immediately because it's not going to get any better. Your kids are going to be raised in that situation. Your kids are going to understand that type of behavior. And it's going to be a cycle that that is never broken when you can break the cycle and leave that jackass immediately. For all you you ladies who are just dating someone like that, who are telling you who to speak to, who for what friends you can have, what friends you can't have. Leave immediately. That goes both ways. That goes for the guys too. If you have a girl that's telling you the same thing, what to wear, what to do, who to talk to, get bullshit. Leave. No one needs to be controlled. Everyone has their own mind. We're all individuals. No one needs to be controlled. Get out of that relationship immediately. Let's continue. He controlled how she dressed, what she ate, and her beliefs. Despite this, Homolka submitted to Bernardo's sexual behavior, writing his comments during sex on a self-improvement list. So during sex, this dude, from my understanding, is telling her what she can improve on. And because of that, she goes back into some sort of journal and writes writes it all down to make sure that she can improve it in order to please him. That's a big no. That's a no on on my watch, dog. That's going to be a no for me. Get out of that relationship, Barbie. But we all know she didn't. So let's find out what happens. Despite being in a relationship with Homolka, Bernardo resumed the crime of rape in December of 1987. In March of 1988, local police sent a task force to apprehend the infamous Scarborough racist. Racist. (laughs) The infamous Scarborough rapist. But the investigation went nowhere despite heavy physical evidence and a composite sketch that wasn't shown to the public. On a side note, the two were married in 1991. So I always make, I always poke fun at the cops and I, and I appreciate for all of my law enforcement listeners who are listening to law enforcement, I'm not specifically directing it to all law enforcement, but the thing, the trend shows that a lot of times during a lot of major crimes, law enforcement miss huge marks and huge opportunities to apprehend and get rid of the predator early on. In, in, you know, resulting in the predator taking down several victims. Now, I don't know why, and I would love to speak to someone in law enforcement regarding that. Anybody in law enforcement, reach out to me. I'll keep you anonymous. We'll, 
I'll even darken your voice during the interview. That way you, they don't, no one understands or no one can identify who you are. We'll go straight gangland style. But I want to know. I mean, it, it says here, in March of 1988, local police set a task force to apprehend the infamous Scarborough rapist. But the investigation went nowhere despite heavy physical evidence. And a composite, a, composite sketch, a composite sketch that wasn't shown to the public. Now, everybody knows that some of the biggest allies that law enforcement have is the public. So why, oh, why would law enforcement overlook damning evidence, indisputable evidence, despite heavy physical evidence? They didn't apprehend the Bernard, this Bernardo guy therefore resulting in probably more victims. I mean, obviously it was more victims because I wouldn't be making an episode if it wasn't. Pamolka was aware of Bernardo's crime spree and there was even allegations from one victim that she was present when attacked, recording it, but this was ignored by the police. Again, blatant evidence with an eyewitness telling them exactly what happened. But it was ignored. Again, anybody from law enforcement, even judges, lawyers, attorneys, it doesn't matter. I want to know. I want to know. Why in a lot of major, major, major cases that indisputable evidence is ignored or overlooked or not taken seriously? And then the result of that, multiple victims are found. I mean, it says, it says it right here. There was even allegations from one victim that Homolka was present when attacked. She recorded it, but this was ignored by the police. There's two, that's, two, now that's two occasions. That's two chances that they, could, that they had to, to stop the Ken and Barbie. Even they, they had a chance to stop Ken when there was, there was heavy evidence heavy physical evidence to arrest and convict the guy. But why? Why, oh, why was it ignored? Both times. Both times it was overlooked. Now, I mean, I don't know what the crime wave in Canada is, or especially in Toronto. I mean, Toronto is a pretty major city in Canada, from my understanding. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, I think Toronto is one of the major cities in Canada. But I don't think the crime is very heavy in Canada compared to the United States. I think Canada has a relatively low crime rate compared to the United States. So if something that serious, if there's a serial rapist around in the community, why wouldn't it be investigated? Why wouldn't it be pursued? I mean, there's not other things that, I mean, what, you're going to ticket a moose for jaywalking? Yeah, I know that's a bad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> But why would you, why, why, why would that be overlooked? That's what I'm curious to know. Again, if there's any law enforcement, anybody who can help me out with that answer, let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. No, not Gmail. At mail.com. Finally, in May of 1990, the police released the sketch to the public and immediately friends and previous girlfriends of Bernardo tried contacting police. But they were overwhelmed with other tips that they, that, oh my gosh, but they were overwhelmed with other tips. They were unable to fully follow up. In May of 1990, the police finally released the sketch and immediately tons of, of tips start pouring into law enforcement. But they were overwhelmed and so they couldn't follow up. Come on. Your whole purpose is to catch the bad guy. We, they found out who the bad guy is, they were sent various tips and even people who knew him personally. But they couldn't follow up because they were overwhelmed. Again, that's chance number three. Three chances. And they all fluffed them. They dropped the ball. Boy, I tell you. In November, as part of a citywide investigation, police took blood, saliva, and hair samples from Bernardo. Unfortunately, these wouldn't be tested for two years. 
For those of you in the back, I know I, I know I'm a little sick. I know my voice is a little stuffy, and I and I know that it's a little it's a little it's a little raspy. So I'm going to repeat what I just read. For those of you in the back, let me turn up my mic. In November, as part of a citywide investigation, police took blood, saliva, and hair samples from Bernardo. Unfortunately, these wouldn't be tested for two years. That is chance number four. That they had the rapist and potential killer in their hands, in the, in the, in the, in the grasp. They had him. They had their hands wrapped around this bastard. But yet, Neglected to follow through. One thing that I am noticing from around the world, regardless of where we're at, it seems like law enforcement all work the same exact way. I'm not saying that they don't work. I would never take that away from law enforcement. Law enforcement is one of the thankless jobs that we have here in the entire world. We expect them to do so much, but yet we don't thank them. And then we crucify them. And burn them at the stake when things go bad. However, there's a trend all through the United States and all around the world. I know that some places around the world, there are more blatant, what is that, uh, examples of corruption from law enforcement. I know that. Here in the United States, it's more subtle, but there's still corruption in the United States. It's the gang. But it seems like law enforcement all around the world works exactly the same. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just something that they, everybody falls into place or if it's something, again, that is manipulated during the time of investigations. I don't, I don't know. If somebody can help me out, again, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. So let's get into their first victim. And the first victim is going to make you sick. With anger, their first victim is going to irate you. If there's a small puppy around, let make sure you put it in a different room because you will kick the puppy after I tell you who their first victim is. Can anybody guess who their first victim was? Excluding Sarah from Toronto, since I'm pretty sure she uh, heard everything about this case out in Toronto. Can anybody guess? You in the back? No? You don't know? Okay. You right here up front. You with the, with the, with the eyes. Yeah? No, no, no you, don't, no, you don't know who it is? Okay. If there's, if there's an elderly person using a walker, make sure that they leave the room before I tell you who the first victim is. It's going to irate, it's going to piss you off so bad because it pissed me off. It pissed me off so bad that if I didn't love my studio equipment, I would have flipped over my desk. That's how irate it made me. So let me take a little sip of water. Let me clear my throat. So I can go ahead and tell you who the first victim was. Bernardo became increasingly obsessed with Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy. He spied on her and soon hatched a plan in 1990 to rape her with Carla's assistance. Carla Carla would also make sure that Tammy remained a virgin until then. You heard me right. Bernardo became increasingly obsessed with her 15-year-old sister and Tammy made sure that her 15-year-old sister remained a virgin for this worthless piece of shit, Bernardo. On the 24th of July, 1990, during a summer vacation, Bernardo made his first attempt. Carla would lace her sister's dinner with Valium stolen from her veterinarian, but Tammy woke up before Bernardo had the chance to complete his desired mission. On December 23rd, 1990, the second attempt happened in the Homolka family home following Christmas dinner. Carla's present to Paul was his sister's virginity. On December 23rd, 1990, the second attempt happened in the Homolka family home following Christmas dinner. Following Christmas fucking dinner. Following Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner. Carla's present to her boyfriend was her own 15-year-old sister's virginity. Yes, I know there's growing out world. I know there's people like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not fucking kidding. You look it up. She 
dosed her own sister and gifted her to her boyfriend. I, I, I mean, I've read a lot of fucked up shit, but this is, this is some fucked up shit. While Carla and Tammy's parents slept, they spiked Tammy's drink with sleeping pills, and once she was unconscious, they undressed her, and Bernardo raped her while Carla held a halothane and a and antiseptic anesthetic. Sorry, I'm 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 getting I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm so irate. Once she was unconscious, they undressed her, and Bernardo raped her with Carla while Carla held a halothone or anesthetic-soaked rag up to Tammy's face. So this was a tag team. Her sister, Carla, was just as guilty as the guy is for raping her. They both should be burning right now at the fucking stake. If not, they should have been laced with the most lethal dose of of poisonous gas someone can ever receive. Fuck both of these people. You know, I think I realize why I'm not blowing up in my podcast yet. I think it's because I'm too outrageous and I'm too opinionated. And so people are like, oh, my God. That's way too much for me, Grumbler. I can't take it. And so I don't think that's why I'm blowing up. I, 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 get, I get irate. I, I mean, I'm not going to hold it in. Tammy began to vomit and stopped breathing. After failing to revive her, the couple dressed her and moved her into her room to clean the evidence before calling 911. Although Tammy had a huge chemical burn on her face, the, the death was ruled accidental yes you heard that right you you heard that correctly i'm not i didn't make anything up i didn't i didn't exaggerate anything once she once she the the sister little sister stopped breathing because she was vomiting from the amount of anesthetic anesthetic that was flowing through her body they cleaned her up dressed her and put her into a room and put her back into her own room. And even though there was chemical burns on her face, the death was ruled accidental. Again, that's what, number five chance already to catch these fucking assholes? And you're telling me that there's chemical burns on a victim's face and it was an accident? How do you accidentally do that? If there's no chemical burns on the, on the, on the victim's hands, and that's, I, I mean, I tried, I read most of the police report and the police report stated nothing of finding any sort of evidence of chemical anywhere else. Oh, I tell you. And it, it gets worse. It, I mean, we, we know that, that the Ken and Barbie victims have more, more I mean, the Ken and Barbie predators, these, these fucking assholes. We know they have more victims, but what I'm about to read you is going to irate you and shock you even more. This, see, when I started reading about this and I, and I read the amount of victims, I'm like, okay, they, they had a few victims. But what makes this case so shocking? Okay, it terrorized the community. I understand that. It, it's devastating. It's hard to, to deal with. But what I'm about to read you, what I'm about to read you, it irate, it, 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 it I mean, I'm telling you, it shocked me. And I don't get shocked very often, but I was like, when I read this, I seriously just looked at it like, what the fuck? What did I just read? So let me, let me, let me take you out of suspense. Let me, read, let me read this to you. After Tammy's death, Bernardo and Homico moved to Port Dalhoise. Del I think that's how you spell it. I think that's how you spell it. Port Dalhoise. Dalhoise. Where they filmed themselves role-playing sexual acts between Bernardo and Tammy. Homolka played her sister and wore her clothing to make the fantasy real. I know I'm a little stuffed up, and I know my voice isn't great, great A quality like it normally is. But did you, I know I made myself clear. Bernardo and Homolka filmed themselves role-playing Sexual acts between Bernardo and Tammy. Mind you, the 15-year-old sister that they just killed. And to make the fantasy real, Homolka would play her sister and wear her sister's clothing to bring the fantasy to real life. The same 15-year-old sister that they both, that they murdered, 
the 15-year-old sister that they drugged and raped and murdered. Now, the big sister is dressing, is dressing in her little sister's, her murdered sister's clothing, role-playing, and making it real. All for the sexual pleasure of Ken the Bernardo fucking bitch. Boy, I tell you. I'm telling you, when I, when I started doing this episode, I didn't realize that I was going to get stuck just on that. I thought I was going to breeze through it, name a few of their murders, and be over. I thought, okay, when I first read about the Ken and Barbie murders, I, thought, I honestly thought it was a both gold-digging couple that were mur- targeting rich people to to bring financial gain to themselves, you know, it, it, what I saw was that that the gal Homolka would go and and sleep with these rich people, these rich men, and, you know, entrapping them, blackmailing them, and then the the uh, what's his name Paul would come over there and murder the guys and take all their money. That's what I thought this case was about. I never knew that this case was about rape and murder. And so when I started reading about it, it I, w- I was shocked. I was completely shocked about this whole thing. It's insane. Let's, let's find out more victims because you know there's more victims. So we're going to go ahead and find out who, how many more victims that we have. In June 1991, Homolka invited a co-worker, only referred to as Jane Doe, to their home. She passed out, a ha- she passed out after having a spiked drink. Carla then told Paul she had a surprise gift for him, and the two filmed themselves as they co-raped her. The victim awoke the next day feeling ill, but left without realizing she'd been raped. Raped her, dosed her own co-worker, co-raped her, and, oh my God. There's few crimes in this world that I find completely disgusting. The main crime that is completely, completely absurd to me and disgusting is rape. Rape on all ends. It doesn't matter. Especially, especially children. Especially children. You molest and destroy a child, you deserve to be set on fire in the fucking desert with no one around to help you. But for you to co-rape someone, dose someone who trusted you, it's unbelievable to me. I don't understand. I, I don't understand. I, I've, never in my, I've never in my millions of years ever figured or even considered forcing myself on anyone. But there's sick individuals out there who think that that's perfectly okay. And those people deserve to be set on fire in the middle of the desert with nobody around. On June 15th, Bernardo met 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. Mahaffey asked him for a cigarette. Bernardo then led her to his car where he blindfolded her, forced her inside, and told Homolka, on their, and told Homolka of their new playmate. Once again, they filmed themselves raping her. And when Mahaffey's blindfolded fell off, they murdered her. 14 years old. 14 years old. They kept the body of Mahaffey in the basement while they ate with Carla's family upstairs. They later dismembered her body and threw, her, and threw the remains in Lake Gibson. Her remains were found on June 29th, the same day as Bernardo and Homoka's wedding. This was happened in 1991. The remains were found on June 29th, the day that they got married. Now, they murdered this poor, innocent little gal, kept her body downstairs while they had dinner with Carla's family. Just, hey, can you pass the butter, please? Yeah, can can I have can I have the French bread over here while there's a fucking body downstairs molding and and just after just being brutalized, just the body just just there while someone is eating dinner with the rest of the family. 
again, I've read some sick shit, but this right here, this right here, this right here, though, this is some pretty sick shit. This probably should have been a Patreon episode. In August, Jane Doe was invited over once again. It was a direct mirror to Tammy's death. She stopped breathing during the rape, but was revived. Homolka called Homolka. What? Homolka then called the 911. Hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa. Rephrase that. Okay, back up. In August, Jane Doe was invited over once again. It was a direct mirror to Tammy's death. Jane Doe stopped breathing during the rape, but was revived. During Tammy, during Jane Doe's unconsciousness, Homolka dialed 911. Once they revived Jane Doe, Homolka called the nine called 911 again and let them know that the crisis was resolved. The ambulance was then recalled. So instead of saying sending someone to go and help and double check to make sure everything was fine, they recalled the nine the the ambulance. What is that chance number 6 now where they could have stopped this shit? I mean, I, I don't know how it, I, again, I'm, I, I don't know how it's done around the world. I especially don't know how it's done in Canada, but here in the States, nine times out of 10, maybe, maybe I don't, maybe I don't know what happens here in the States, but if someone is called and say they stopped breathing, the ambulance still makes contact to make sure that everything is truly okay. And if that would have been the case in this incident, then the Ken and Barbie killers would have been stopped because they would have, they would have, they would have saw that, that Jane Doe was being raped. And then for Homoka to call the call nine one one and say, "Yo, everything is fine," and nine one one to say, "Cool, hey, uh, ambulance, don't go, they're fine." Jesus, Christmas trees in June. On April sixteenth, nineteen ninety two, Bernardo and Homoka abducted fifteen year old Kristen French as she left her high school, leaving a number of witnesses. They raped her consistently for three days before strangling her to death with the same cord used to kill Leslie Mahaffey. 15 years old, as she was leaving school, she was raped consistently for three days before being strangled to death. Not only did she have to endure the pain of being raped, she had to endure the suffering and the torturing of being strangled to death. Fucking hell. French was never blindfolded and was forced to drink a lot of alcohol. What? Oh my gosh. French was never blindfolded and was forced to drink a lot of alcohol, watch Mahaffey's rape, and act submissively to Bernardo. A few days after her death, they washed the body and cut her hair before throwing it in the Burlington dumpster. So French was forced to watch the videos that were recorded while they were raping Mahaffey. And French was forced to watch that knowing that that was going to be that, that's exactly what was going to happen to her. What was going to happen to her? Can you imagine that? Could you seriously close your eyes? Could you imagine sitting there watching your fate, knowing exactly what's going to happen to you? You're sitting there watching it as it as it's, before it's going to happen to you, or as it it's already happened to you, and you're already you're reliving it by watching it to happen to someone else. Fucking hell, man. Bernardo was interviewed a month after her murder, but they considered him an unlikely suspect despite him being interviewed previously in connection to the Scarborough rapes. There's chance number seven. Bernardo was interviewed a month after her murder, but they considered him an unlikely suspect despite him being interviewed previously in connection to the Scarborough rapes, and we let him, and they let him go again. Wow. Again, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it happens, and I don't know anything about the judicial system in any country. I barely know it here in the states, but I know that letting him go again and again is not the right way. That that I do that I do know. They had seven chances to to arrest this fucking scumbag, and they let him go each and every time. And then this last one saying that it was unlikely, even though he was interviewed and suspected in the Scarborough rapes. All law enforcement need to step that shit up. I mean, how many people with lives would have been saved 
because the, yeah, I know, I know very well. I know you're calling me a, uh, a catch, a couch quarterback. I know you're saying, yeah, grumbler, but you're not on the streets. You don't know. You don't know. You just don't know. You're right. I don't know. And for those of you, for those of you who do know, let me know so I can know. Maybe I'm missing something big. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just missing something, but I don't know because you're right. I don't know. Finally, their arrest and their trial. Finally, after all this time, they're arrested. Seven, eight times they've had, they had a chance to stop these bastards and they let them go. They didn't slip through their fingers. They, let, they just let them go. No one slipped through anyone's finger. They were just let go. But finally, they're arrested. Let's find out how. In December, Bernardo beat Homolka with a flashlight, leaving her with multiple bruises over her body and two swollen black eyes. Regardless, she returned to work on January 4th, 1993 and tried to pass her injury as those from a traffic accident. Classic signs of, an, of an, someone who's been abused. The classic sign of a victim. Let's hide something that, and then blame myself for the reason why I, I had the shit beat out of me. Again, ladies, for any man who's controlling you, leave. Dump him immediately. It's just going to get worse. Trust me. Just read about the statistics. Just read. You don't need him. You don't need him at all. And he's going to be fine on his own. You don't need to be there with abuse. And if you are being abused, please reach out and contact someone to get help immediately. Don't fall in that cycle and don't stay in a relationship that you're not happy and you're afraid to make a mistake. No one should live in fear when they're with their spouse. No one. And if they're controlling you, how to think, how to act, what to do, what to dress, what to eat, it's not right. And if they threaten you or gaslight you, get the fuck out of there. No one should live in fear or be, or be fear-mongered or lived in, in, in threat and fear of their life that something's going to happen if they, if they get out of line or if they mess up or if they're not perfect. Fuck that. Fuck that guy. You can tell him I said that. Play this episode and you tell him I said fuck him. Let's continue. Her co-workers didn't believe her and contacted her parents who took her to a hospital. Homolka claimed to doctors she was a battered spouse and filed charges against Bernardo, who was arrested. Finally, it took him beating the shit out of his own wife to finally get arrested. Not the fact that he was suspected in multiple murders. Not the fact that there's a sketch matching him and identifying him as a predator. Not the fact that they had literally hard physical evidence linking him to several murders. No. No. They finally was, he was finally arrested Finally arrested because he beat the shit out of his wife. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm glad that he was arrested for that reason, but he should have been arrested seven times before that. But now we're just barely arresting him? By coincidence, the samples he had given two years earlier were tested, identifying Paul Bernardo as a Scarborough rapist. In February, Carla sought immunity for information in the case, but was denied. Good. You can't, you can't seek immunity when you were the co-conspirator. You were the, you were the, you were the tag team partner. This was the twofer and you were the second fur. Get the hell out of here claiming immunity. You shouldn't have done it to begin with. Oh yeah, I know. Your grumbler, she was forced into it. She was not forced into it. She knew exactly. You know what? You know how I know she wasn't forced into it? She wasn't forced into it when she decided to, to drug her own sister and help no, it was even before that. It was when she when she sat there and watched her husband or boyfriend at the time rape another woman in front of her and did nothing about it. She should have left right then and there, called the cops, and been done with it. Put a fucking ice pick in the back of his neck, right at right when the the spinal column and the and the back of your head meet. The ice pick should have been been shoved right there on this fucking smegma. So no, she wasn't forced. She was turned on by the idea. She was obsessed and drunk with the lust and, and this new world that she had discovered. Yes, there was fear and intimidation involved in it as well. I 100% agree. But at the same time, that wasn't alone the only reason why she stayed and did what she did. She had a chance to leave when the controlling behavior started. Especially when she saw him rape somebody in front of her, she, he should have left. When, she, when he asked her, and started telling her that I want to fuck your, your sister, she should have done something then too. 
not drug her and give and gift her to him so he could rape her. No. Instead, let's continue. Instead, she was given one week to accept a 12-year sentence for manslaughter or, for, or face charges for all three murders. Homolka took the deal and testified against Bernardo at his trial, which took place in 1995. I don't understand why. Don't give anybody a plea bargain. Don't get anybody a deal. Why? We would be, you know how there'd be a lot less, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, this is just my theory. If you're giving people plea bargains, then it makes it okay for people to commit crimes because they know they're going to get a lesser sentence if they agree on the plea. Fuck that. Book them to the full extent to the law. You know, I don't know how I don't know how it is in for racist for racism out in Canada, but here in America, the racism is evident. It's it's crazy. Systemic racism is huge in the United States. Perfect example. We're reading about this this gal who helped murder and rape two uh, several individuals. She was given a twelve year sentence on a plea bargain. Okay. There was a there was a Latino truck driver who who killed his, his his brakes burned out just recently here in the United States in Colorado. He was coming down the mountain, his brakes burned out, lost control of his truck and killed four people, smashed into him killing four people. Now mind you, he didn't have a record. He was clean. The only crime that he had committed was was wrecking into these four people while he lost his brakes. He couldn't stop his big rig. He smashed and killed these these four people. And because he was Latino and a white judge gave him 110 years in prison. These people raped, drugged, and murdered. And one of the gals were only given 12 years. It gets better. On September 1st, 1995, Paul Bernardo was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for at least 25 years. Life without, per, without the possibility of parole for at least 25 years. But that means that there's a chance he might get parole in 25 years. I mean, yeah, there's a chance that he might be rejected. And that, that's, that's true. But he wasn't given 110 years. And I understand that they're two different countries. But what my point is that systemic racism plays a huge part in sentencing on on severe crimes. I just don't understand why she would give a plea deal. Don't give plea deals. She's as guilty. She was his co-conspirator. It doesn't matter. She helped kill these people. She helped rape these people. And you're only going to give her 12 years on a plea. Oh, my gosh. Let's continue. He was kept away from other prisoners due to threats against him. And in one instance, in 1995, five prisoners tried to storm his area and had to be dealt with via riot police. They should have let the the five prisoners beat the shit out of this guy, stomp him into the ground and make him part of the pavement. They, They should have led him for street justice. And I'm pretty sure that the reason why these five prisoners did that, I guarantee you that one of those five prisoners were either related to one of the victims or somebody they knew was related to one of the victims or somebody in that prison who was higher up was related to one of these victims. And so therefore, they're going to get back on what they're going to get and they're going to kill this fucking asshole, which they should have. But again, he was protected. I don't understand why these prisoners protected. It happens here in the States. Don't protect them. They did the crime. Let them get the shit beat out of them. Oh my God, I need, what I need is a nice hot cup of cocoa right now. Bring my nerves back down. Just chill a little bit, but stop, you know, I I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing my podcast. I get so worked up. I get so emotional. I get so excited on things that I can't help. And I I can't help but show my true feelings and my true emotions. You, You listen to a lot of these other podcasters and they're real mundane. They're real low key. They're level. They're just chill. I don't know how someone can be chill reading this stuff. And there's their fake ass podcasting voice and via riot police. Shut the hell up. If you're not going to get into it, then don't do it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, digre- I'm, I'm going off topic. My bad. I'm going on a rant. Because he is, because he is a heinous, monstrous human being, it's unlikely he will ever look in the face of parole. It doesn't matter. The fact that there's a chance he might get parole should never be on the table. 
Homoko's plea deal was considered a joke, especially after the tapes reconstructing the couple's rapes were shown at the trial. It was absolutely a goddamn joke for her plea deal to be even thrown on the table. And what sucks is that once you're tried for a crime and convicted of a crime, you can never be charged for that crime again. New evidence would have to be submitted. A new, a new arrest and new everything would have to be go through in order for her to be charged for that similar incident, but not the exact crimes that she was already convicted for. You can't be convicted again, apparently. I, I guess that's here in Canada, in Canada and United States. That I did look up because I was curious. Some prosecutors said that they, some prosecutors said that had they known what was in those tapes, they would have never proposed her a plea deal. Then you should have waited and tried them together instead of rushing the gun and try to think that you were trying to, you were doing something good. You should have waited. But no, instead you let out another, you let out a killer on, on a quarter of the time. Ridiculous. Homolka was released from prison in 2005 after being denied parole. She moved to Guadalupe and married Thierry, Thierry Bordalius, whom she had three children with. She later moved back to Canada, where the family settled in Montreal. She was released in 1995. I believe that happened in 1999, maybe, or 1995. Uh, let me see here. It says here, by coincidence, February, instead of giving one week to 12 years, so it, this happened in 1995. She was, okay, so she was in prison for about 93 or 94, 95. She was put in prison around that time. So I'm thinking about 1995. Yeah. And she was released in 2005. That's less than 12 years. Less than 12 years she was, she was spent helping raping these and murdering these individuals. Am I, am I the only one who, who doesn't see that's, that something's wrong? Am I the only one, or, or does other, other people see something wrong as well? I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not. Maybe I'm missing something. Who knows? Graveyard Grumbler's final wrap. Let's go ahead and wrap this episode up, because my blood pressure is going to get high. My throat's going to start bleeding because I'm getting so excited with this whole entire episode. So we're just going to, let's Graveyard Grumbler's final wrap. Now, what I'm going to read, you guys, listener discretion is advised. This might be a little too much for people to handle. I knew this should have been a Patreon episode when I got to this part. I, I added this in there to add some more sustenance to, to the episode. And now that I've done that, I should have actually put this as a Patreon episode. But because I didn't, listener discretion is advised. What I'm going to read is not very pleasant. I don't, again, I don't know the demographics. I don't know how young my ears are listening to this podcast. So I, I, don't want some, I don't want the parents to walk in while they're jamming out to my podcast and they hear me reading the shit out and they're like, oh my gosh, why are you listening to this guy? So listener discretion is advised. This is just a little extra that I found that I want to throw in there. Again, this should have been a Patreon episode. Early in the morning on June 15th, 1991, Bernardo detoured through Burlington, halfway between Toronto and St. Catharines. He detoured to steal license plate and on and doing so found Leslie Mahaffey standing outside her home. The 14-year-old had missed her curfew after attending a friend's wake and was locked out of her house. Why would you lock your kid out of your house? Bernardo left his car and approached Mahaffey saying that he wanted to break into a neighbor's house. Unfazed, she asked if he had any cigarettes to which he claimed on having available in his vehicle. When Bernardo led her to his car, he blindfolded her, forced her into the car, drove her to, the, to Port Dalhuis, and informed Homolka that they had a victim. Bernardo and Homolka videotaped themselves torturing and sexually abusing Mahaffey while they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Bernardo said, at one point, Bernardo said to Mahaffey, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damned good job, adding, the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect, end quote. On another segment of tape played at Bernardo's trial, the assault escalated. Mahaffey cried out in pain and begged Bernardo to stop. In the crown description of the scene, he was sodomizing her while her hands were bound with twine. Unbelievable. I, I, and what, what's, what's crazy is that the wife 
Barbie was right there the entire time. No emotion. Just, just, just no sympathy, no empathy, nothing. And they're only going to give her 12 years. Mahaffey later told Bernardo that her blindfold seemed to be slipping, which signaled the possibility that she could identify her attackers if she was set free or lived. The following day, Bernardo claimed Homolka fed her a lethal dose of halcyon. Homolka claimed that Bernardo strangled her. They put Mahaffey's body in their basement, and the day after the Homolka family had dinner at Bernardo's and Homolka's house, after the Homolka... Oh, my gosh. They put Mahaffey's body in their, ba- in their basement, and... And the day after the Homolka's family had dinner at Bernardo's and Homolka's house. After the Homolka's and their remaining daughter, Lori, left, Bernardo and Homolka decided that the best way to dispose of the evidence would be to dismember Mahaffey and encase each part of her remains in cement. The best way to get rid of a victim is to dispose of the evidence or dis- dismember the gal and put her in the cement. Bernardo bought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day. He kept the receipts, which were damning, which were damaging at his trial. Good. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy in the fucking face with a spiked boot. Fuck that guy. Bernardo used his grandfather's circular saw to dismember Mahaffey. Bernardo and Hamalka made a number of trips to, the, to dump the cement blocks in Lake Gibson, 18 kilometers south of Port Deloise. At least one of the blocks weighed 90 kilograms or 200 pounds for my fellow Americans and was beyond their ability to sink. What? It lay near the shore where it was, oh, uh, it lay near the shore where it was found by Michael Doucette and his son, Michael Jr., while on a fishing expedition on June 29th, 1991. Mahaffey's orthodontic appliance was instrumental in identifying her. So when I first read that, I was wondering why it was the, the brick was unable to sink. Well, the reason why, why the, what they did was unable to sink is because they couldn't lift it. They, they made it to where it was 200 pounds and they couldn't get it deep enough into the water to make it sink. Good. Fuck those guys. The guys should have hit the gym, but I'm glad he didn't. An orthodontic appliance was instrumental in identifying her. Jesus Christ. That, again, listen to discretion and advice. I know there's some graphic information in there, but this is the final wrap. I just wanted to add the more severity into this and how much of a joke the judicial system is in both countries. 12 years. 12 years for, for conspiring and being uh, an accomplice to murder and rape. Homolka was released from prison on July 4th, 2005. Several days before, Bernardo was interviewed by, by police and his lawyer, Tony Bryant. According to Brian, Bernardo said that he had always intended to free the girls he and Homolka kidnapped. Bullshit. Shut up. Shut up. However, when Mahaffey's blindfold fell off, allowing her to see Bernardo's face, Homolka was concerned that Mahaffey would identify Bernardo and report them to the police. Bernardo claimed that Homolka planned to murder Mahaffey by injecting an air bubble into her bloodstream, triggering an air embolism. Jesus Christ. You know, this whole air embolism thing, you know how much air you actually have to pump into someone's body in order for them to, to suffer from something like that? It's just, TV is fake. I'm not saying that it's not true, but it, it, it takes a lot to do that. Oh my gosh. So another victim, Kristen French. Remember that? That was a 15-year-old gal who was walking home from school. Let's read about her. They spotted 15-year-old Kristen French walking briskly to her home nearby. They pulled into the parking lot of nearby Grace Lutheran Church and Homolka got out to the, to the car with a map in her hand, pretending to need assistance. When French looked at the map, Bernardo attacked from behind and brandished a knife, forcing her into the front seat of their car. From the back seat, Homolka subdued French by pulling her hair. Yeah, 12 years, huh? 12 years and they're doing tag team shit. Yeah. French took, the, French took the same route home every day, taking about 15 minutes to get home and care for her dog. Soon after she should, she should have arrived, her parents became convinced that she, met, that she was met with foul play and notified police. Good for the parents. 
Within 24 hours, the, Ni- the Niagara Regional Police Service assembled a team, searched French's route, and found several witnesses who had seen the abduction from different locations, giving police a fairly clear picture. Why didn't anybody help out? Why didn't they call the cops right then and there? If they saw the abduction, why didn't they call and get this shit taken care of? She, she could have been alive still. For all the public who's listening to my podcast who has ever seen a crime happen or witnessed a crime, notify police immediately. Yes, you can do anonymous tips to the police. They take those where you don't have to be involved, but at least you're doing something right and you might save someone's life. Don't just ignore it. Call someone. Hell, 99% of us have a phone in our pocket anyway. French's shoe recovered from the parking lot from where she was taken underscored the seriousness of the the abduction. Over the Easter weekend, Bernardo and Hamalka videotaped themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing French, forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol and submit to Bernardo. At his trial, Crown Prosecutor Ray Holloway said that Bernardo always intended to kill her because she was never blindfolded and could identify her captors. 100% true. The following day, Bernardo and Homolka murdered French before going to the, to the Homolkas for Easter dinner. Homolka testified at her trial that Bernardo strangled French for, se- for seven minutes while she watched. Bernardo said that Homolka beat French with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape, and French was strangled with a noose around her neck, which was secured to a hope chest. Homolka then went to casually fix her own hair. It doesn't matter who did. They both did it. They were both involved in it. They both killed this poor innocent gal. Both of them should be dead. Dead, I'm telling you, dead as a fucking doornail. The justice system is messed up. French's new body was discovered on April 30th, 1992 in a ditch in Burlington, about 45 minutes from St. Catharines and a short distance from the cemetery where Mahaffey is buried. She had been washed and her hair was cut off. Although it was thought that French's hair was removed as a trophy, Homolka testified that it was cut to impede identification. Get the fuck out of here. And Pete, get out of here. Shut up. So let's read about all the victims. I mean, what we're going to, I'm not going to go into detail again. This, these are just more of the victims done by, by, by the couple, if not by Bernardo himself. 1987, May 4th, unnamed 21-year-old woman. May 14th, unnamed 19-year-old woman. Raped, both of them. July 17th, unnamed woman beat and attempted to rape, fled when she fought back. September 29th, unnamed 15-year-old girl threatened with a knife, assaulted, bit her ear, attempted rape in her home, fled when mother intervened. December 16th, unnamed 15-year-old girl, raped. December 23rd, unnamed 17-year-old girl, also sexually violated with a knife. Violated with a knife. 1988, April 18th, unnamed 17-year-old girl, raped. May 30th, 1988, unnamed 18-year-old girl raped in Mississauga instead of Scarborough. October 4th, 1988, unnamed woman stabbed twice in thigh and buttocks and attempted rape, fled when she fought back, survived her injuries. November 16th, 1988, unnamed 18-year-old girl raped. December 27th, 1988, unnamed girl attempted to rape, fled when neighbors saw and ran after him. He's a little punk. This guy's this guy Ken wants to be all big and bad, punking and, and holding rape. Dude, wait till someone beat the shit out of you. Fucking rape you. June 1989. June 20th, 1989. Unnamed woman attempted rape, fled when victim fought back and screamed. August 15th, 1989. Unnamed 22-year-old woman stalked her since the previous night. November 21st, 1989, unnamed 15-year-old girl raped. December 22nd, 1989, unnamed 19-year-old woman raped. May 26, 1990, unnamed 19-year-old woman raped. Note, on May 25th, 1988, Bernardo was intending to carry out another rape near a bus shelter, however fled when he was spotted by a Metro Toronto investigator. Yet wasn't pursued, wasn't questioned, wasn't detained. But I get detained for walking down the street on the wrong side and they ask me for my ID. And this guy was about to rape somebody and wasn't questioned or detained once. 
You know, I, 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 if you haven't noticed from this episode or you haven't picked it up yet, I can't stand rapists. I can't stand child molesters. I can't stand anybody who does harm to anyone in such a, a, a disgusting way. I don't. And I mean, and it's, it's sad to say, but I mean, people who, who go out for vengeance, you know, uh, you know, gang fighters and, and people who are murdered like that, it, I don't know. I, I just feel that that sexual, that's rape, pedophilia, molestation is the worst crime that could ever be committed. And once those guys are found, once those people are found guilty without a reasonable doubt, they all should be burned at the stake, literally at the stake. Like Vlad the Impaler and Nero, Emperor Nero, just stuck on a stake and lit on fire while they're still alive so they can feel somewhat of the pain and the torture that they that they that they put on on their victims. Fuck those guys. That's gonna wrap it up for me. My throat is on fire. I want to I want to appreciate everyone. I want to thank everyone, and I appreciate everyone for sticking in and listening to my my podcast this January. Can you believe it? January is gonna have two years podcasting. Two years podcasting with the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. I want to thank everyone for the support. I really do. I feel really special. Thank you for my for my dedicated listeners and fans. My special shout outs: Bear, uh, George, Portillo, Marcos Romero, my mom, Sarah from Toronto. So I'm not going to give your last name. I don't know if you want me to give your last name. Those people have been my kids, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure a lot of other ones that I haven't that I haven't spoken to personally. But I know for a fact that those individuals that I just named off have been listening to pretty much day one. And I want to thank you very, very much. It means so much to me that you support me, that you continue to listen to the podcast, give me constructive criticism, suggesting episodes. It means so much. I want to thank each and every one of my listeners who listen to the podcast on a regular basis. Thank you so much. Announcements. Uh, but Patreon is still going. I have my radio show on RadioKing.com that goes on every Thursday. That date is going to change, and so is the release of my podcast because I'm going to have a new schedule come January 15th or 17th is when I start my new my new schedule. The radio show is going to be moved to Tuesday mornings. I'm sorry, Monday mornings, and the podcast episodes are going to be released on Tuesdays, no longer on Fridays. Like I said, I'm, I'm my new schedule. I'm going to have uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off instead of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I have to rechange my whole thing and and release things on different times. So Monday mornings are going to be my radio show. Again, it's it's like two and a half, three hours to where we I play music. I I talk about different topics, crack a few jokes, play some more music, and that's pretty much it. I interact. We interact on Discord. If you're interested in joining the radio show, just email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Every time that I start my radio show, I, I email people the link. That way you can join the show. And I also email the Discord if you don't have it. Other than that, the Patreon is still going. I still release episodes and stories there. Thank you for supporting me, everyone. I have one tier, one tier only. It's $5. And that's pretty much it. I want to thank everyone so, so much. I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my little black heart. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Beautiful friend, 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 friend. Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard Podcast. Grumbler.